0: when I'm kind of pushing my limits or getting a little stressed, I, I just pause. And I remember that 10 years ago, this is the position that I prayed about being in, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I'm here, I'm living in it. And it, it just makes me so incredibly happy. And like, so thankful for this community that supported me and thankful for the people that have like held me down, you know? So that that's a big motivator to keep going. Um, just thinking about how, yeah, it's kind of tough, but like, this is what I, this is what I was aiming for. You know, this this, and beyond.
1: That was photographer Jovel Rennie, whose ingenuity and talent continues to define both his personal and professional ambitions. His drive is influenced by his parents and his upbringing. When he was young, his mom passed away suddenly, leaving him and his dad to navigate life without their cornerstone. Jovel was a quiet, independent kid, and his dad had a hands-off parenting approach. He was very present, but allowed his son to learn through experience. They both made it work and even thrived. Jovell holds many of his formative experiences close. He considers them often and applies them to his life and his work. When taking photos, for instance, he believes in staying out of the way and not being a burden. His mom remains a constant presence in his life, and his dad is his biggest supporter. He says that, above all, his motivation is making them proud by always conducting himself with integrity. So here he is, Jovell Rennie. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, past present, and, and future. future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. So, you said that you have a tendency to. Get distracted, so you're currently closing all your tabs on your computer.
0: Yeah, man, I I try to do too much. I've I've had enough people in my life that I love and care about telling me to slow down. So I gotta if if you could see how many tabs I had open, you would think I needed some some serious help. I do. <laughs> I
1: shoot, we all do. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm trying to minimize the distractions. So on your personal website, on your about page, you say that you're just trying to take photos and make your mama proud. Is that an ongoing goal?
0: Always, man. My mom passed away um, three days ago. It was 20 years since she passed away, which is just, that's wild to think about. But yeah, that's that's always a goal, man. I'm just trying to do what I can with the camera, build bridges, like interact with new communities, learn and grow myself, and just try to do stuff that I think would make my mom proud. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, every... Every July, every October, I always kind of go through these like weird spells where I kind of have to audit myself and I ask myself, like, would she be proud of what I'm doing? Yeah. And most of the time, I don't think the answer is yes, but like the people that I love, the people that knew my mom, like they always try to remind me and lift me up. It's just like, yo, she would be super proud. But I come from like an old school Trini family. So I sometimes I wonder if my mom would even like understand the concept of me being a photographer and being a, a creative as like my day-to-day job. Um, Cause my aunt and uncle, they don't get it. My dad's mad supportive, but my, my extended family, every time I talk to him, the conversation always ends with like, well, don't forget, you got to get back to school or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. How is your dad supportive? Um He's supportive in the sense that he just, he's never doubted me. Like anytime, uh, Anytime I've tried to do something, he's always just been like, okay, I trust you. My dad worked, so he didn't move to America till I was like three or four. Um, and he always worked opposite of whatever my, my little kid schedule was. So when my mom passed, mm-hmm. it was more or less like we were just two, we were two dudes who didn't really interact with each other, kind of forced to stick together, you know, but and not to, not to knock him. I love my dad dearly. He's like an immensely incredibly smart person he's like the definition of a hustler but he didn't really know how to be like a a dad to me um but he wasn't he wasn't overbearing he wasn't controlling he was just kind of like he just i had a I had a long leash i'll put it that way like he didn't he didn't like helicopter parent or anything like that like he was very hands-off like we didn't need to call cps or anything like that but like he was very hands-off and I think that helped kind of shape my independence and make me the person that I am. And my my dad is the only family that I really have up here. I got two cousins that kind of disappeared. I'm I'm not really sure what they're up to. One's down in Kenai, but, um, but you know, like my dad being the only real family that I have left up here, it's just good to know that he's in my corner and he's always been supportive and he's, Mm -hmm. he's always had faith. Um, I think part of that comes from my dad being such a big gambler. (laughs) Like, okay. Yeah. Like he's, he's always willing to bet on himself and because of that, he's always willing to bet on me, you know, which, which is cool. I'm not a, I'm not a gambler by, by any sense of the word, man. Um, At least not,
1: not in my head, but yeah, no, my dad, he's, he's cool like that. He's super cool. I got a lot of love for him. Do you think that your dad has, tried to go over and above because of your mom's passing that he needs to fill those shoes as well as his.
0: I don't really think so. I think, okay. Yeah. I think nowadays, I think he, I think he's just proud. I think he's just proud that like with minimal like interference, he's happy with how I turned out. Like he knows he doesn't have to worry about me. Like that's one of the things that we talk about is like, cause my dad has two other kids and they're both older than me. Um, but like he don't really got to worry about me. Like I'm always the one. I'm not the troublemaker. Like I'm the one that can figure stuff out for myself or make it happen. Like I've always been fairly self reliant. E- ever since my mom passed, I've always been kind of like just just figuring stuff out.
1: Was there a was there a moment or like a realization or something else that hit you that told you like I need to look out for myself?
0: not, not necessarily. It was more just seeing how much my dad was going through, like me being a kid and him losing his, his wife. The the reason he moved to America was my mom, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just, I remember pretty vividly like thinking to myself that I needed to minimize interruption, you know, like I needed to, I didn't need to make things more difficult than they needed to be. So I was always like, uh, A pretty like solid kid you know Um, I was always curious about stuff but I I never I never tried to stir up any trouble like if something did happen I would try to figure it out myself before I needed to like take it to my dad if something was going on with my dad I would try to support him and help out where I could Mm -hmm. Um, yeah I just I just didn't things didn't need to be harder than they already were so I just I kept working
1: I really like that what you just said about minimizing interruption did that come to you, or was there a process to get there?
0: I mean, I, I think it just made sense.
1: Um, I don't I don't think it was,
0: like, a light bulb moment or anything like that. It just it just seemed like the most logical thing to do. It was just like, oh. Because, like, I, I had friends. You know, I had friends who were, like, quote, unquote, bad kids, always doing stuff and whatnot. And, yeah, they had fun, but, like, at what cost? You know, at what cost to themselves, at what cost to their parents, their families? It just... I didn't need to do all that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm i really thankful that throughout most of my life, I've always been kind of a, like a visual learner. Like I can see something done a couple of times and kind of understand if I want that for myself or not. Um, and a lot of the stuff, as fun as it might have looked, I realized like, yo, I don't really want that for myself. Because like thinking two or three steps ahead, I'm like, yo, that that momentary fun is not worth the repercussions that come later down the road.
1: Mm hmm what kind of kid were you? Were you like an extroverted outgoing kid or were you an introverted artsy kid? I was,
0: I was introverted, but I wasn't artsy. And I I still, to this day, I don't really think of myself as like an artsy individual. I just think I think a lot. I think that that's true of creatives and, and people who are artistic. I think that they just, they just think so much. Like we just have so much in our head that if we don't put it down, in whatever medium speaks to us the most, it's going to drive us crazy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That That's how I think of it. Um, when I was a kid, I wasn't super, I don't know. I don't think I was very creative. I lived in my head a lot. And I spent a lot of time alone. My dad worked a lot. Um, and I didn't have like a ton of daycare. So it was really just me and my thoughts. And so, I don't know. I appreciate that time alone because it made me okay with being alone. And it made me kind of work through different processes whenever I came across something that was, like, bugging me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I don't know. I, yeah, I wasn't... I was definitely definitely introverted, and I think as I get older, I've started to come out of my shell more so out of necessity or because I want to be an advocate for those who haven't quite found their voice yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, in terms of, like, the, the art and the creativity, I I'm still trying to, like identify with that label. I have, I have a hard time identifying with that.
1: For as long as I've known you, you have always been a very deliberate person. You know, you make these conscious decisions and these conscious efforts to do certain things that you recognize in yourself. You know, earlier you said that you were introverted, but you're, you're making these efforts to, to get out there. You know, where does that come from?
0: Um, I think, I think it comes from the understanding that if I don't ask for something, I probably won't get something. And there are a lot of people who need things, but they haven't found their voice to ask or they they need to see what it looks like first. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it is because I want to do that for myself. Like I owe it to myself to always to always try, you know, to always speak my mind, to always speak my truth. I, I owe that to myself. But in part, I want to I want to do that for others too. Like especially in the community. When I think about when I think about my path and young's path with photography, mm-hmm. I always think like when I meet young kids now or not even young kids, just people who are like dipping their toes in, it doesn't matter how old they are, I always think I'm like, man, I would love to create the resources for people today that I wish I had when I was getting started. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what it's all about. Just trying to make the path easier for those that are coming, coming up next. Like, there's no reason it should take somebody as long as it took me to, to do what I did because like the tools are there. Like I, if I can be a resource, why wouldn't I want to be a resource? So I don't know. That's kind of how I, how I feel it came about like that urge to speak up and get out there. Cause if I wasn't going to do it, then, you know, I I can't sit on my hands and wait for somebody else to do it either. Like I just, I got to try.
1: It might've taken you a while or even longer than you would have hoped to, to get where you are right now. But when you look back on that journey, do you, do you appreciate that, that process?
0: Oh man, absolutely. Absolutely, bro. I, I think about this all the time, like, especially around the work that I'm doing now. Like, when I when I feel, when I'm kind of pushing my limits or getting a little stressed, I I just pause and I remember that 10 years ago, this is the position that I prayed about being in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm here, I'm living in it. And it, it just makes me so incredibly happy and, like, so thankful for this community that supported me and thankful for the people that have, like, held me down, you know? So that that's a big motivator to keep going. Um, just thinking about how... Yeah, it's kind of tough, but like, this is what I, this is what I was aiming for, you know, this, this and beyond. Um, yeah, it's, it's cool to, to look back and think about how much progress has been made. Um, cause sometimes it's hard to see, especially when you're in the thick of it, when you're just kind of like, go, 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 it's mm-hmm. hard to, to stop and breathe and like, look at, look back at the things that you've made in the past and just kind of remind yourself like, yo, you are growing, you are learning. And sometimes you look at things and you're like, oh, that was cool. I should revisit that. Mm -hmm. Um, I find myself doing that a lot. Like I I joke with some of my close friends about how I've been doing the same thing for 10 years. People just started listening, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Earlier you said that you just think a lot. Is it photography that quiets those thoughts?
0: For me, that's what it is. Um, Photography, journaling, which... I'll admit I don't do it as often as I should. I I tend to only journal when I'm like really going through it. So when, even when I look back at my journals, like I don't really like to look back at them because it's just so sad, bro. Like, Oh man. Um, but photography has been a big blessing. A lot of times it's not even about, it's not even about like the actual photo that's made. It's just about the process, you know, just getting out, spending time, just me and my camera and not, not looking for images, but just making images and trying to be thoughtful about what, uh, I'm photographing and being intentional about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but journaling, uh, reading, uh, my partner's super supportive. I love them immensely. Um, my therapist is mad cool. So yeah, I have a lot more tools and resources now to quiet things, um, than I did in the past, but photography has definitely been a constant.
1: Why is it sad to look back in your journal?
0: It's, it's sad just because like most of the times that I would write in my journal were because I was, I was down bad. I was super down bad. I didn't know what else to do. So I just, I wrote it, you know, I just wrote it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can, it can be kind of sad, but more often than that, it's pretty like, it's pretty relieving, you know, cause I'll look back on that and I'll be like, oh man, I was down bad and now that's not even like a thought of mine or that's not even a concern or like Mm -hmm. sometimes I look back and I'm like, Oh wow. Why was I, why was I tripping so hard about that? Um, so it's, it's both, it's both ways, but sometimes there's a few things that I look back at and I'm just like, Oh shoot. I don't know if I ever actually solved that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's all of us, honestly. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, what was your, what was your upbringing like in Anchorage?
0: Um, it was cool. It was relatively simple. You know, like, I think, I think it's always, there's always that moment when the poor kids realize that they're poor. Um, or like for me, it was like that plus like the black kid realizing I was black. Cause I grew up, uh, kind of like when I would go to church, when I spent time with my auntie and uncle and my community, I was around a lot of like Trini people, a lot of Afro-Caribbean people, a lot of black people. But then when I was in school, that wasn't the case you know, there wasn't a ton of kids in my neighborhood, Um, so I really, I just kind of grew up around adults a lot, Um, but other than that, you know, just being like a, a little dirty street kid, I had my bike, like, I would ride around everywhere, we'd ride around to, like, corner stores, hang out all day, we'd ride to Toys R Us, blow whatever money we saved over the summer from doing, like, odd jobs and whatnot on Legos and, the big thing for me was a new bike, like at the end of the summer, I'd always try to save up and get a new bike, but mm-hmm. yeah, um I don't know I grew up I grew up quiet, like I didn't really get in a lot of trouble. Um, I kind of kept to myself, and I hung out with my mom. That was it. like before I was going to daycare, I would just go to work with my mom, or like when I could, I'd go to work with my dad. Uh, my mom worked in banks, and so I would just chill in the bank, I'd walk around, watch soap operas in the break room. My dad worked at Cars, and when he could take me, I'd go and sit with him. And like this is back when Cars had a juice bar, so I'd just be sitting in the juice bar. or Like I'd be in the back with his his friends, um, his coworkers, and whatnot. And they'd be playing poker, and I'd just be sitting there. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I I think I I'm I'm thankful for the upbringing that I had. Um, wasn't a ton of wasn't a ton of things. That felt like problems at the moment, um, but looking back and being able to like understand it a little bit more, I'm like, oh, that might have not been the most ideal situation. But you know, we all have that to some degree. Um, I think when my mom passed, it definitely got it. It just got tough, you mm-hmm. know, because like my my childhood best friend, we weren't really close anymore. Um, my mom was like the person that I spent the most amount of time with my aunt and uncle who were on on my mom's side, like the only other family that I had up here, they were packing up and, and leaving the state. So I was, I was just kind of stuck with my dad. And for the most part, I didn't really, I didn't have a ton of opportunities to get to know him. Mm-hmm. And my mom's passing was, was sudden. Like it was like, like three days from start to finish when she passed. Like, I don't know that, that was just, it wasn't a, it wasn't a fun time, you know, by any, by any means it wasn't cool, but Yeah. Um, things were quiet, you know, I kind of kept to myself. I stayed out of trouble. Um, and then when I did get in trouble, it was, uh, it wasn't for stuff that I did, you know, it was just a circumstance. Um, but yeah, it was cool. I think, uh, growing up around a bunch of like kids that didn't look like me was, it was a double-edged sword. Like I wished that I had more people that I can kind of look to as role models but I'm also thankful for the people that were around because it just kind of like expanded my my understanding of different communities and different cultures and different different ways of doing things outside of my household and my community.
1: Mm-hmm. How do you think growing up around adults affected you? And before you answer, I wanted to let you know that the reason I asked that question is because I've recognized it in people like my sister who grew up around um a lot of like adults a lot different than the way that me and my brother my younger brother grew up with a lot of cousins the, the same exact age my my sister is 12 years younger than me and she is so much more mature and so much smarter than I was or my younger brother was at that age and so I feel like pretty often I can pick out you know, if someone was raised by adults? Yeah,
0: I feel like it is pretty apparent. There's a lot of similarities between folks who kind of had to grow up quick. Um, For me, I think at a very early age, I realized adults aren't superheroes, you know, especially our parents. Mm -hmm. And that, man, that hurts. That hurts to see because, like, you know, you, you think your parents could do everything, but... Then you kind of realize like, oh no, they're, they're a whole ass person with whole ass emotions. Like they get sad, they get scared, they get confused. They don't know everything. Um, and that, that's tricky, you know, cause like as a kid, you look to them for essentially everything, you know, mm-hmm. but having that switch kind of flipped and being like, oh no, th- these people also don't know what they're doing. Like we're all kind of figuring it out. Um. I don't know. It, it allowed me to give others more grace and to like be more patient. Um, I, I, I personally don't think I'm a patient person, but like a lot of people in my life tell me that I'm patient. I don't see it. I think I'm like highly irritable, but maybe (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I have this rule too. Like, uh, People say, like, don't sweat the small stuff. My rule is that I only sweat the small stuff. Big big stuff bounces off me, like, pretty quickly. But small stuff just, like, oh, it drives me nuts. But um to answer your question, yeah, I think growing up around adults just kind of helped me humanize them and realize, like, yo, we're all figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And, like, there are, there are going to be a lot of times where I don't necessarily have to look to somebody for an answer. I can, I can just spend a little bit more time trying to figure it out on my own.
1: Mm-hmm how much do you think your upbringing and your adolescent experiences have shaped you as a photographer? Um,
0: man, I, I think quite a bit. Cause I think at the end of the day, we're all just trying to make our little kid selves like happy and proud. Like even in, like well into adulthood, I think we're all just trying to like nurture and nourish that, that baby within us that just wants to see us flourish. Um, and I think, I think that my curiosity and my stillness has translated into my photography a lot. Um, and that makes me really happy. Like I really try to capture whatever it is, whether it be people or still life stuff. I always try to make sure that there's dignity in my subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I, I think that that really helped. I think that being goal-oriented orient, and kind of knowing what path I want to put myself on came from like just my my like thinking as a child like I always try to think two or three steps ahead Mm -hmm. Um, and just my like my willingness and my commitment to stick to a plan and understanding that like while plans can change like the path can look a little different but you know just continuing to check in with myself and make sure that the end goal that I said I wanted is the end goal that I still want and then working towards that path like man I've done so many different types of photography to get to the to get to the work that I am making now the work that I'm like really proud to make. And that's not to say that I wasn't proud of all the work that I made in between. Um, but I think just like anything in life, like if you know where you're going, it makes it easier to do some of the stuff that you don't love to do in between. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of people kind of get caught up in stuff is like, they might take a job that they're not necessarily in love with and they'll just say, Oh, I'll just do it for a little bit until I get, until I get on. But if you lose track of that overall goal, then you might just end up staying in a situation that you don't love because it's comfortable or like because change is scary and change can be hard. Um, So I'm pretty thankful that that's that's not something that I feel like I've ran into. Um, And a lot of times people ask me if I'll do photography forever, and I just say, I'll I'll do it until I don't want to do it anymore. Like the moment it becomes something that I don't enjoy, I'll just, I'll cut it. I'll just stop cold turkey. But I think... Above photography, I, I get a lot of fulfillment from, like, connecting bridges and connecting communities and interacting with people and, and listening to people's stories. Like, that's going to be above photography. And if photography can be the vessel
1: that I use to do that, mm-hmm. then, then I'm golden. Like, I feel great. When you were a kid and you thought about the future, did you have any aspirations to become something um not really i mean i wanted to be a rapper but i never really liked to rap
0: i thought i thought it'd be cool to get shot because like at the time it seemed like all my favorite rappers were getting shot and it was going well for them then i realized that's probably not the route that i want to go mm-hmm. Um but now when i was in in high school i was really into um the idea of being and kesey might have some funny stories about this or i mean they they're funny to me i don't know if they're gonna be funny to him but um <laughs> I was really into being like a background player in like entertainment. Like I really wanted to be an A&R and I really wanted to like manage musicians and artists. Um I don't think I ever really went down that path, but I I, I always got a lot of joy from being a supporter and like recognizing talent and like connecting talent with with entities that could help like boost that talent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um you know and like i, I don't even got to like somebody to like what they do you know i don't have to, i don't even have to understand what they do to understand that like if they have passion for it and if they're genuinely working towards it like i should support them like why wouldn't i mm-hmm. you know it doesn't it there's no there's no benefit in being a hater you mm-hmm. know if you if you don't like something just get out the way and let them do their thing you know but if if you support them then support support them like wholeheartedly like do it with your chest like go hard for that person mm-hmm. that's kind of how i feel like if i'm not rocking with it i'm gonna just get out the way and let you do you but if i if i like what you're doing or if i if i like the motivation that you have behind what you're doing then like i'll ride for you
1: all the way mm-hmm. do you think that young jovel would be proud of adult jovel maybe i think young jovel would wish that
0: adult Jovell did more to try to keep his hair but other than that <laughs> other than that I think I'd be cool yeah are you losing your hair bro that it's been gone like I started shaving it when it was still an option and now I now I don't think it's coming back
1: <laughs> I did the same exact thing actually yeah man that's what you got to do that's what you got to do do you remember the first camera you shot on the
0: first camera I shot on probably so before before I got, like, an actual camera, I used to make a bunch of, like, goofy videos and stuff with, um, with cell phone cameras. Like, Young and I used to be super big cell phone nerds. Like, that's kind of how we met was because we were both, like, little hustlers in school. Um, but the first real camera that I shot on was probably, like, a Canon XTI or something like that, like a Rebel XTI or a T1i. Um, and then just kind of graduated. The first camera that I bought was a T2i And then I bought a Mark II thinking I was like grown and was like on top of my stuff. And it's just been, it's just been like ups and downs from there. Like nowadays cameras and like camera folks always get, get up in arms when I say this, but cameras aren't really sacred to me. Like, um, it's just a tool, you know, Mm -hmm. cameras, just a tool like, and you can, you can have your preference over which tool you want for like a particular job. But at the end of the day, like. I'll grab whatever's within reach and I'll make images with whatever's available to me, you know? Because it's not, it's not about the camera. It's about like the storytelling and like the, the interaction that you have with the person or the thing that's on the other end of that camera. Mm-hmm. So the the tool is just a tool. Like a good carpenter is still going to be able to build a birdhouse with a Fisher Price hammer and a bat, a bad carpenter couldn't do anything with like the coolest Milwaukee Black & Decker set, you name it, like, it comes down to like what you do with the tools available to you.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I remember talking to you at an event in Anchorage and you were showing me a film camera you had on you. What do you think is different or unique about shooting in film? Um, not much, truth
0: be told. Like it's really just a preference thing. I like, I like the fact that film is a little bit more tangible and like there's more opportunities to be involved in the process of making your image. Um, like there's, there's more opportunities to be intentional. Like you have to think about more, uh, and film just, it slows you down, you know, like it really, or unless you got tons of money, like you want to slow down that process. You want to be thoughtful about what you're making. You want to, you know, feel, feel like that camera and know how it works. Um, digital, I see a lot of folks who just kind of do like the spray and pray method Mm -hmm. or like they're constantly reviewing their images on the back of the camera, but, um, film boosts your confidence. You know, it makes you, it makes you feel more capable. Like every time you get those images back and they turn out, but yeah, I don't, at the end of the day, like, I don't think it's, it's not sacred, like to shoot film over digital. Like I, I get kind of irked when, when there's like people who are like elitist about what they shoot. I'm just like, bro, just, just go, go make images, you know, just do, do whatever makes you happy. Don't worry about what the next person doing. Like if it works for you, it works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I like film for my personal stuff and I've started to do more of my personal projects with film. Um, and I usually tell people like, if you see me with the digital camera, chances are, I'm like, I'm like working, working. If you see me with the film camera, chances are I'm having fun. Um, that camera that you saw me with though, I'm bummed cause it just broke like last week. But, um, I like that one. It's like a little I call it the the vacation dad special because it's like a little point and shoot that like every parent probably had one in in the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah. But I like stuff like that because it allows you to like catch moments without people feeling like the moment is disturbed. Like anytime you bust out a larger camera, people are like, "Oh man, he's got a camera." Like, "Let me let me pose, let me do X, Y, and Z." But those little cameras like they're they're unobtrusive you know you can just kind of like flick up and nobody's got to worry about it you know you're you're getting like those genuine reactions those or more of those genuine reactions more of those genuine moments like as much as i appreciate like candid photography and street photography i've never really been one of those like kind of sneaky shooters like i don't like to like lurk around and kind of like be a voyeur um mm-hmm. i just like to i just like to catch moments and like talk to people so I don't know. It's, it's much easier and less intimidating with like those little cameras. And I've been able to get a lot of like my favorite images just by always having that with me.
1: How do you think other people would describe you as a photographer? Gosh, I,
0: I don't know. They might say, I mean, it depends on how they meet me. Cause like I've had so many chapters in like my career as a photographer, like if you met me because I photographed your family, you might think that I was, like, funny. If you met me, if I was, like, doing your boudoir shoot, like, hopefully you'd say I was, like, respectful and not a creep. If you met me because I was doing, like, corporate headshots or commercial work or whatever it might be, like, there's a different thing people would say. And, like, all all of those are me. Um, but, yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I I still run into people who know me from, like, one type of photography, and they're always surprised to see that I'm doing other stuff, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think one of the things that's kind of tough right now is that I, I have to be more selective. Like I have to say no a bit more, which in the early days, like when I was first entering like freelance life, I mean, you know how it goes. Like you, you saying yes to damn near everything, just cause like you got to get paid. You got to mm-hmm. make sure you can take care of yourself. So you're not necessarily always doing things that you love. Um, but now I've kind of gotten to a point where I'm, I'm sustaining myself and taking care of the people that I love with work that I feel is like purposeful and that I want to make. Um, but every now and then I'll still have somebody who will say like, Hey, my kid's graduating or like, I need some maternity photos or this or that. And I'm just, I'm not that guy anymore. I I feel, I feel like I led people astray cause I never really wanted to be that guy. But like, I understood that that could, like, pay the bills while I was able to, like, focus on the stuff that I love outside of that. But, yeah, I mean, there's still some people, like, people who have held me down from the beginning. Like, I try to always make space for them because, like, they've been, you got to be good to the people that have been good to you, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, But when I do say no, I try not to leave people with, like, a shut door, you know? it's, It's never just a no. It's like a, hey, no, I can't do this, but, like, here are three recommendations of people that would be absolutely fantastic for it. So I I try to do that.
1: So, you take these intimate photos of people, what did you call them? Boudoir is that what it is? Oh yeah, I mean, you could just say booty pics, man that's that's
0: really what it is <laughs> that's really what it is, bro. How did you get into that um so there was a there was a photographer working in town a couple of years ago, probably like six seven years ago now, who it seemed like everybody was going to um and one of my friends. I remember just, we were kicking it and she was looking at the images and she was like, I wish I could do that. I wish I could look like that. And that just, man, that, that like broke my heart. Cause I'm just like, yo, you're like one of the coolest people. You can do this. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to look a certain way to do it. Plus like that photographer, they, they just went about things in a way that I didn't enjoy. Like they, they were really big on like airbrushing their subjects and making everybody look plastic. And like, I, I don't, that's not, that's not something that I enjoy. I want people to see themselves in images. You know, mm-hmm. I want people to like look at an image and know that that's them. Um, and so I offered to do a shoot for her and like, I had never done uh boudoir, like intimate photography before. Um, and so one of my homies let us borrow his, his house. He was living with his parents. He's like, oh, my parents will be at work. So like, you can go over there. And his parents didn't go to work. They decided to play hooky. And so we were, like, scared as hell, tiptoeing around the upstairs. She's running around half naked. And, like, his parents <laughs> are downstairs watching movies. Um, but it stemmed from, like, I just I didn't like the way that my friends were feeling and that negative body image that mm-hmm. was kind of, like, floating around in them. So I just wanted to show people that, like, I... I really enjoyed their company. I I really enjoyed them as people. I was like, yo, you can do anything you want to do. And so I did some images for one friend. They showed them to some others because, you know, this is like when group chats were just starting to become a thing. But, you know, I took some pictures. They put them in their group chat. Their friends are like, oh, wow, this is really cool. You think he'd do my pictures? And it started out as like a referral basis. Like I was like, yo, I'm not really trying to do this. But like, yeah, if you're a friend of so-and-so, then sure, I'll do it and then those like degrees of separation just started to widen like it was still referrals but like i didn't really know the person like they'd be like oh hey you shot my friend's pictures and they came to you because of so-and-so and so so i started doing it more often and then it, it became like work you know it became like a source of income and a thing that people really seemed to enjoy like i really enjoyed i enjoyed the feeling that i got when people got their images back and felt good about them. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was really cool. That was really fulfilling. Um, so, yeah, I uh, I enjoyed that. I did that for a while. Um, had a couple boyfriends and husbands mad, but you know what? That's that's their problem. Um, but it was cool. It was like a cool moment. At the end of the day, though, it did kind of burn me out because um, it seemed like people were wanting to shoot with me not because they genuinely wanted images for themselves or like to, to kind of document a moment in their life, but more for like a sense of social clout. And that wasn't, that wasn't cool. That wasn't very fun. So, um, I just, I stopped, you know, like I still do it every now and then kind of like what I said about the other stuff. Like if, if you've been down for me in the past or if like it's case by case. Um, but yeah, like I, I still do a lot of the stuff that I used to do, but it's really just case by case these days.
1: Mm -hmm. When you're taking these photos, what is your etiquette in understanding someone's level of comfort or is your etiquette always different?
0: I'd say by and large, it's the same, you know, like people are people like dignity first. Uh, It's their body, their photos, like the photos are for them. And so I don't push their bounds, you know? Um, like I'll always suggest stuff that I think would lend itself to making like beautiful and unique images. Mm -hmm. But if somebody says that they're not down for it, then I don't ask them again. You know, usually before I would shoot, I would always tell people like, Hey, if I suggest something, I'd, I'd always tell people like, Hey, please understand that any of my suggestions or anything that I like ask you to do is coming from a place of making the best images that we can today. Um, it's like, it's not on no like weirdo behavior. Like I'm truly just trying to make images that I think we'll both walk away enjoying. Mm -hmm. Um, but that being said, if I say something that you're just like, Hey, I don't think I want to do that. Then that's cool. We don't got to do it. Um, and just like, I don't know, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of male photographers that seem to only want to shoot nude females like they don't have any interest in doing any other kind of work they're just like no this is what I do and I just like that's weird bro that's really weird and like especially as as we get older it's like so we get older but all of our subjects and our subject material like stays the same like where's the growth in that you know where's like the evolution um so I don't know uh at the end of the day I was trying to be of service and just not be another weirdo out there doing it. Like there's so many goofballs and like corny people doing just gross things and we don't need that, you know? Mm-hmm. And now nowadays, um, there's so many talented photographers in the in the intimate space and in the boudoir space that I, I don't need to be there. Just plain and simple. Like there are so many people doing great work, uh, that I don't need to be another person in that space. Like I'm I'm okay with that not being something that I do, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. You know what's really interesting about your outlook on photography that I've been picking up on is that at your core, you're a storyteller. You know, you, you said earlier that it doesn't matter what type of camera you have and you will only continue to take photos as long as you're interested in it. Can you speak a little bit about being a storyteller, or even if that's accurate, what I just said?
0: I think more so than a storyteller I'm just I'm just a sponge for like new experiences Mm -hmm. uh, and in conversations with with strangers and with people so it's definitely intrinsic in the sense that I derive joy from that but you know now with the tools that we have social media and like the access that we have to kind of shrink our world it's very cool to be able to use a camera to like gain access to, to these situations and these rooms and, and things that are happening and to be able to share that with people who may not have ever come across those unique situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I, I do agree that, like, yeah, it, it's cool. But, like, I, I don't know. I, I try not to I'm, – I'm bad at labels, if you can't really tell. Like, I try not to attach myself to the storyteller label because, again, there's so many people in that space who are doing amazing work. And I don't know if I'm one of those people. I don't think I'm one of those people. I don't think I need to take space from those people, but like I like to lend myself to, to others where I can.
1: And is that a big reason why you and a group of other people, a group of other photographers started Aquila space?
0: Oh man, you're going to get me on my high horse now.
1: Um, Not, not
0: necessarily. So Aquila Space uh, to go all the way back, Aquila Space is a product of Aquila Collective, and we started Aquila Collective. So as myself, Willie Dalton, Oscar Avianita, um, Young joined us a little later, Mikey Huff, and then uh, Bex was in there back in the day, and our friend Forrest was in there. But Aquila Collective, oh, and Emma Sheffer, Emma Sheffer was like down in the early meetings too. Um, but Aquila Collective kind of started to, started because we, you know, we were like emerging photographers and we were trying to dip our toes into like the world of commercial work. But, uh, and this is this is when Instagram and like brand partnerships were kind of just becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of us had learned from, uh, we had learned from like Clark Mishler. My, my mentor is a guy, um, or I consider him my mentor, uh, is a guy, Stefan Um Van, Van Styles is like his old Instagram name. Um, but these are these are photographers who came from like the commercial world and when we started to get these like get the attention of some of these brands and they wanted to reach out for partnerships they were just they were definitely taking advantage of of like the younger creatives or the emerging creatives who didn't necessarily understand how like the business side of things worked um, and so the way Aquila Collective kind of started was we would send our portfolios out to these brands and say, hey, like, let's work. And almost every time what we got back was these brands saying, oh, wow, great stuff, but y'all are babies. Like, we're not going to work with you. Because we were, we were like 20, 21 years old, you know? Mm-hmm. And they, they just weren't giving us the time of day. And so the way I describe it is kind of like a little rascal situation. Like, you know the scene and Little Rascals where they get on each other's shoulders and they like go into the bank and they try to get a bank account mm-hmm. and they pretend pretend to be an adult. That's how I feel like Aquila Collective got started because we we took our same portfolios, put them all on one website, branded it Aquila Collective, didn't really show like our faces or say much about us. We just said like, hey, we are a creative agency. We have a roster of talent. Here's the work that our talent has done. And we sent it back to those same companies and we started getting yeses. Really? yeah yeah it was just all about how it was packaged you know that's great it was it was wild so we started doing that um with willie kind of spearheading the Kila collective we started to advocate for creatives who were like dipping their toes in the commercial world and trying to make sure that they got fair and equitable treatment um and so with that like we would negotiate contracts for for instagram kids like inst- like instagram jobs like Companies would offer you $400 in a backpack for like 50 images and a bunch of social posts. And that is like, that's just, that's not a fair rap. That's not a good deal. Like you can't pay your bills. You can't, you can't continue to grow and take care of yourself being paid in exposure and product. Like that's not how, that's not how it works. And so we started to like rep these kids and it took a lot of trust, but we would tell these kids, it's like, hey, they offered you 400 we can get you 2000, you know, and you, you cut us 15%. We'll, we'll handle the negotiations. We, we basically acted as agents and managers for creatives in order to let them continue creating. Cause that's what you see so often with people who are really good at art, be it music or painting or photography, whatever, whatever have you. There are so many talented people that are just great artists, but they don't know how to market themselves. They don't know how to communicate their skill set. Um, to somebody in, like, the commercial world or that that sector of things in order to, like, get that check, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other side of that, too, you see a lot of, like, very regular, mediocre artists, and honestly, I'm I'm probably one of them, but, like, you see a lot of people who aren't necessarily great at what they do, but they know how to network and they know how to work a room, and they're always getting the jobs, and all that does for the artists who are, like, killing it it just bums them out. They're just like, oh man, I wish I can get jobs like this or jobs like that. Mm-hmm. You know. So we wanted, to, we wanted to be able to help those artists land those gigs without having to take away from their ability to create or focus on the things that matter most to them. Um, so we did Aquila Collective for a couple of years, kind of serving as like, uh, I think the term for it is boutique, boutique agency, which just means that we were small and we didn't have any money. Um, but we operated as a boutique agency for a couple of years and from that we were able to save up enough money and we started thinking so this this is where Aquila space comes in um you know i had done with young i had done a couple of shows like we did that show at bpu years ago with 49th Mm -hmm. Uh, that was awesome i loved it it was a great time we didn't sell any pieces and then we did a show at sub-zero that was like also a fun time we didn't sell any pieces um and I've seen other artists who have done shows with, like, cafes and restaurants and this and that. And they have fun, but they don't sell any pieces. And a lot of that, I felt, was because those spaces that we were selling out of, they they were not designed for the consumption of art. They didn't have the infrastructure for it. They didn't have the resources to be able to, like, allocate the time necessary to properly promote those shows and those events. Um, and in the worst of situations, like the shows wouldn't go, they wouldn't be financially successful shows. And then whoever it was on the restaurant or cafe side would look to the artist and be like, well, you didn't sell anything. So you must be a bad artist. And like that, that sucks. That's not a good feeling. And it's not true. Mm -hmm. It's not true. Like I'm not trying to go into, I would hate to have to go into a cafe and stand over a family. That's just trying to enjoy a meal because I want to check out some work on the wall. But the art spaces that we did have available weren't necessarily accessible to emerging artists. you know, like you couldn't get in in certain spaces without having like a name associated with your work. so there there was no no launch pad for artists that was like really, I don't know available. And so that's where um that's where Aquila, the, the idea for Aquila space came in because I was pissed off. I was like, man. We need a community space where emerging artists can get a fair chance. Like, it doesn't matter uh, how big your name is or how small. All that matters is the intention behind your work. Mm -hmm. Like, I've always maintained I don't have to like your work. I don't have to necessarily understand your work. I just have to see intentionality behind your work. Like, if you can articulate why it is you're doing what you're doing, like, if you can walk me through the decisions that you've made and show me that these are purposeful decisions, then by all means, like, have at it, get a shot. Plus, having a space like Aquila helps artists kind of figure out if they want to pursue art as a means of like making their income or if they just want to continue it as a hobby or something that's just for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah i I had gone to the guys at the time the, the guys were Mikey, Willie, Oscar, and I said, "Hey y'all, I think it'd be really cool if we took some of this Aquila collective money and made an art space, And they all told me, "That's dumb, go away." The first the first time the first time um, and so i was like screw you guys i'm gonna do it myself and i try to do it myself and i kind of ran into that same situation that we had earlier where people were like oh that's a cool idea that's a cute idea but you're just a baby like no it's not happening um and we had already done one event we had done the the Aquila collective pop-up um, in the space that would become Aquila space uh, we had done that in 2015 i think it was uh, Fifteen or sixteen, something like that, and that was cool. That was like a wildly successful event. Um, but then later, after I'd to I'd like beaten the pavement by myself, the guys came around, and each of them had something that they wanted out of a space. Like I wanted a gallery. Uh, Willie wanted like an editing bay and and like a studio. Oscar wanted a studio, and Mikey wanted a place that he can kind of call like command center for for things that he was working on. And so we put our heads together um we went back to the space that we had used in the past for our like our our single event and it was very difficult trying to convince a retail space that they should lease to like a bunch of young creatives mm-hmm. because they didn't they didn't understand like what it is that we were trying to do um but eventually you know money was a language that they understood so we threw them 6 months rent in advance and said you can kick us out for any reason like we're not going to talk to you. You don't talk to us unless it's a problem and we'll reevaluate in six months. And it's been three and a half years since then. That's awesome. Yeah, man, it's cool. Um, I, I'm really, I'm really thankful for Aquila. I'm really thankful for the community that we've kind of built around it and the communities that we can like support through that space. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of my biggest things is like building bridges between creative and commercial. And I feel like Aquila does that fairly well. Like we're still trying to be better about it, but I feel like Aquila is like, like, you know, how in movies, there's always like that one bar. That's like the, the, the parlay zone. It's like nothing goes down. No, no bad stuff goes down here. Like everybody can meet there. I feel like Aquila's is kind of that space for people who, who live in like the corporate world or like the commercial side of things and people who are also creatives. Like, I feel like they can all kind of congregate there and have discussions without anybody feeling like they're stepping on anybody's toes or encroaching upon anybody's like turf or anything like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you think that if something like Aquila space was around when you were younger, that you would have benefited from it artistically and professionally?
0: Oh absolutely. Absolutely. That that's part of why we built it was because we didn't have anything like that. You know, and I, I think that other spaces like we're not we're not new or creative in the sense that like we're a creative space. Like the the foundation was there before. Um we just didn't see it for the community that we wanted to be a part of. And I think I think Anchorage for some years has kinda struggled with talent retention, you know. Like so many people who are good or interested in things, we're kind of told like, oh, wow, you're good at this. You should move to Seattle where you can really like spread your wings. You should move to Portland. You should move to X, Y, or Z Mm -hmm. where like you can really do that. But like, how do we build the community that we want if we keep pushing the people away? You know, like you have to create space to nurture that talent here. You have to give them community. I feel pretty fortunate because I was of the era where like you can kind of find community online. Like I was an internet baby. Mm-hmm. So, like, I could I could get my cup full from friends via the internet, but, like, in, in real life, in, in this community, that wasn't quite there yet. Um, but instead of, instead of doing the whole, like, I hate this town, I can't wait to leave, and go somewhere new thing, you know, we just, we stayed, we grinded it out, we put our heads together, and we tried to carve out a space for people here that people here can enjoy,
1: you know? Mm-hmm. You know, I want to get back to your photography. I have I have a few more lines of questioning about that, if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: So a lot of your photography takes place outdoors. And I know in past conversations that we've had, you've told me about your excursions. When you're out on these excursions, what kind of things have surprised you? Um, How do you mean? what comes to mind is going out to a place like portage glacier in the middle of the night and maybe you go there for a specific shot but you end up getting a different type of shot
0: for for starters i think the old me used to go out and look for specific shots like the the current me the present me just just goes out and is thankful for whatever is presented you know <laughs> um but i think at that time, yeah, we were definitely some little Instagram kids at that time. So we were just trying to do things different. You know, everybody went out during the day. We'd go out at night. Everybody went to the left. We'd go to the right. Like, we were just trying to do things in a way that they hadn't been done before. Um, but nowadays, man, I'm just I'm just so thankful for Alaska. Like, I'm so thankful for this land. I'm so thankful for the vastness of it. Like, even just this four, four or five days that I spent in Southeast mm-hmm. was just breathtaking, you know? um, it really, it really is something special to live in a, in a place where there's just an abundance of like new experiences. You just have to be willing to to commit to it and go and get it. And I, I'm barely scratching the surface. Anybody who knows me will tell you I'm, I'm a city boy. Like I used to run around outside and all that sort of stuff, but bro, I just spent a day in Gustavus and a day in Petersburg. And like, I, I was floored, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Anchorage folks, I love I love us Anchorage folks, but we're we're city slickers, man. Like I know there's some I know there's some people who get outside, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just so thankful for it. Like and th- I want to be in those communities. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to I'm not trying to like come in and like, you know, be like, "Oh, I'm here to to document and tell your story." Like that's not I I don't know. That that seems like self-serving. Like I just want to go and I just want to I just want to be in your space. Like I want to be in your space and I don't want to be a burden. So if I need to put down the camera and get to work and help you with something, by all means, I will do it. Mm-hmm. But if there's space where I can just kind of float and photograph and ask you questions and just absorb and soak things in, then I would love to, you know, but, but I think kind of what I said a moment ago, like the biggest thing is just, if you're going to go into somebody's space, if somebody's invited you to be there don't be a burden don't make it about don't make it about yourself Mm -hmm. and be of service when when you can i think that's been one of the best ways to like really connect with people and to really get into some of those situations is just coming from a place of like hey how can i be of service how can i how can i help you out if if i can help by getting the hell out of there cool thank you for your time i'm gone you know Mm -hmm. but never making it about myself like, you, you can't you can't make everything about yourself. That's just not, that's just not, uh, I don't think that's a healthy way to go about doing things.
1: And what did you find that was so special about places like Gustavus?
0: Um, Gustavus in general was cool just because, like, everybody was just so self-sufficient. And I think, and we, we were kind of joking about this, but, like, Gustavus at the time seemed like this utopia where, like, men were exiled and all the women were just, like, cool as hell and just like hardcore as hell and they had they had like like i don't know society without men it was a lot smoother in gustavus that's what it seemed like Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and that was cool that was mad cool um but i don't know i just i i like i said earlier like i appreciate stillness i appreciate intentional people i appreciate things that are kind of slow Mm -hmm. um And that's what I strive for. I know at the very beginning of this conversation, I mentioned that I have like 32 tabs open and I have a tendency to multitask. I don't want to be that person. I want to slow down, you know. Um, So I really appreciate being in communities where things are slow and it's not the end of the world. Like things are slow and things are moving just fine. You know, Mm -hmm. this pressure that we put put, put on ourselves to like to hustle and grind and do this and do that, like we don't need that we've we've never needed that and trying to trying to unlearn that is just a forever process
1: have you taken any efforts to mitigate you know that multitasking
0: yeah um i definitely have gotten better about like asking for help like i think part of my upbringing is like a a kid who just figured stuff out like i really got into a habit of not asking for support mm-hmm. but over the last few years I've understood that like in order to better serve the people around you, like you have to bring more people into the fold. Like it take it takes a village. And so I'm really grateful for the different teams that I have, be it at my day job or be it at Aquila or just even like my my relationship, you know, the partnership that I that I have with Micah. Like Mm -hmm. just being able to to set ego aside and be like, Hey, I, I need help with this. But also understanding that just because you ask something doesn't mean you're going to get it. You know, mm-hmm. like if I ask for help, I have to also be prepared for the reality that that person may not be in a position to help. And that's okay. You know, that that's nothing against them. Um, that just means that maybe I knock on another door and if there are no doors available, then okay. Then I, then at least I fully understand that that's something that I have to go about on my own. And then I can be at peace with
1: that. Just keep moving.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: So last year you documented the Black Lives Matter protests in Anchorage. What was that like?
0: Um, I was I was definitely heated when I did that, you know. And uh, I, I've said it before, but when I don't know how to react or when I don't know what to do, the the camera is my first language. You know, picking up the camera and just trying to like document is my first language. Um, when when I got there. You know, I just, I just knew that I wanted to participate and I wanted to to photograph and maybe those photographs could, could help out somehow. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the things, like I've never claimed to be like a photojournalist or anything, because in terms of like journalistic integrity, like I, I break pretty much all the rules, I'm not saying that I stage shots or anything like that. I'm just saying that like, I can be biased in my voice. I can put my own voice in things. Uh, when I write about the images that I share or anything like that, like I can, I can be myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I just, I knew I wanted to be there. When I got there, I, I was like really overwhelmed with how many different marginalized communities had come together. Um, And that, you know, while the, the phrase may be black lives matter, it, it really is about all the marginalized, marginalized people, whether that be indigenous folks or LGBTQIA plus folks mm-hmm. or, or black folks, like any, any group of people that has faced oppression at the hands of police was there, you know, to, to fight back against that. Um, I think that that was really special. Uh, I think that in Alaska, um, you know, we see indigenous peoples, uh, be on the, the, the bad end of, of like interactions with police more than we see black folks. Um, so it was it was very like i it wasn't good but it was very like heartwarming to see everybody come together mm-hmm. and and protest injustice um and then from there man i just i wanted to be of service with those images i didn't know what to do like when i first went out there my intention was to go and take those images and i was going to blow them up and this is this is like you know first quarter covid so Aquila was essentially shut down. Like we didn't, we weren't doing any shows or anything like that. Um, but I wanted to take those images. I was going to go to Costco and get them blown up, and then I was going to just plaster them on the windows. Because like, if you're driving in downtown Anchorage and you pass Aquila, we have these big windows that when something's going on in there, it's it's hard to miss. Like you see it. So I essentially wanted to make a billboard of these protest images. Um, but then what I realized uh, was that. That's expensive and I have no money. So instead, (laughs) (laughs) instead, I put together a slideshow of the images. um, And when it got dark, I put the slideshow up and I projected it across the walls. So anybody who was walking around downtown, anybody who was downtown at night, like you would see those images, whether you were in your car or walking on the sidewalk past the gallery. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next day uh, I went down there. And I was just kind of hanging out in the gallery and I was just like, hey, there's a lot of shit going on. I don't know what to do, but if you want to come and have a conversation, I would love to speak with you. I'd love to listen to you. And if you have time and space, I'd love to make a portrait. And so um, I started doing that. And I'd also put on there, I was like, oh, so we're going to, I was like, we're going to try and do a little fundraiser. Like whatever money we raise, we'll give to an organization, you know, mm-hmm. and man within the span of, of a week that little fundraiser with the goal of raising i thought we might raise like 500 bucks or something like that it just it it caught it caught legs and we raised uh over twenty thousand dollars in the span of a week oh that's great we were able to give money to, to 16 different organizations um at the end of it all which is great it was it was really great it was really something special like that was that seeing the community come together like that was just so overwhelming. Um, mm. And it, it was just awesome to see. It, it really gave me a lot of faith and uh, Anchorage.
1: Did it feel different from other projects you've done?
0: Um, yeah, definitely. Because other projects were more like, especially Aquila projects. Like we always try to have fun, fun or like information be at the forefront of what we do. You know, Mm -hmm. because, like, I I wholeheartedly believe that art should spark conversation. You know, like, art should make you feel so viscerally about something that you need to talk about it. Like, I don't care if you love the art or if you hate the art, but you should feel so moved by it that you need to talk about it. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, If you walk away from something just kind of feeling ho-hum, then, like, to me, that didn't really hit the mark. So... Yeah, it felt, it felt good because it was one of the first things in a while that we had done that the conversation was starting. And this was, this was, to me, this was the most important conversation that we were having, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so to see that, to see that be received in the way that it was received and the community partners reach out in the way that they did and the support that was coming in from what seemed like every angle, it was, it was it was very humbling and it just made me want to dedicate myself to the work even more.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt a responsibility to document something? Like if you don't document it, then that moment will be lost forever. Not necessarily.
0: Um, Cause in, in that what I hear is like, what I hear in that is me, that would be me centering myself in whatever is going on, whatever's taking place. Like mm-hmm. these, these things that take place, these movements, these cultures, these stories, like they all have their own way of passing stories along. They all have their own way of carrying down tradition. They don't, they don't need me, you know? Nobody needs me, but if I can be there and if I can document in a way that isn't getting in the way or like altering the way things are done, then I would love that opportunity.
1: You know, Jovel, that that does it for my questions. And I, I, I just want to let you know, man, that it's always such a privilege to talk to you because I feel like I learn something every time I talk to you. So thank you,
0: man. Thank you. This was this was cool, man. I uh, I really appreciate it.
1: For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Music was produced by Keezy Baby.